For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The beginning of Ephesians chapter 5 opens with a staggering concept. Paul calls us to imitate God. In summarizing how Christians must discard old sinful habits and replace them with the new life that God provides, he encourages us to follow the example we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's join Pastor Ross now in a message entitled, Imitating God. Now, Heavenly Father, as we open our hearts to the God-breathed word, we recognize, God, we know that it's not the word of any man, but the Holy Spirit speaking through holy men of old, carried along by the Holy Spirit, prompted and given utterance by the great God and his spirit. These words are life, they're from heaven, and we, as we put them into practice, Lord, we find life and blessing and truth and, and light in which to live. So we thank you for not leaving us as orphans, but giving us tools and, and better, a presence, a God who never leaves us or forsakes us and shows us the way uh, to walk. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I have always been very entertained by people who are good at impressions, you know, imitating other people. If you're old, like I am, uh, you'll remember Rich Little. Do you remember uh, back in the 70s, the stand-up comedian who was well-known and probably the father of all impersonators of, of celebrities, uh, you would know the amazing thing. He didn't even have to say anything, but you knew who he was about to impersonate by the posture. And he'd look like the person. He'd, the face would change, and he'd look like that person or hold himself in such a way that it was a dead giveaway. Oh, that's going to be John Wayne, and, and so it was. And so... I love that kind of thing. Uh, You know, the pastors and I, we like to have fun around here. And uh, Pastor Adam happens to be good at doing impressions. (laughs) So one time we're all sitting around and and imitating the way the four of us preach. And (laughs) oh, and I did tell them, be very, very careful. Well, you know, we got it down. We, I mean, everybody has something they do that so, makes it so easy. Pastor Jim, he's the compressor. He's the faith, hope, and love. He's just, just, he's just, Jesus. Come on, right? I'm right. Come on. All right. So, so then you got the logical Pastor Adam, the teacher. Faith, hope, and love. He's the expander, too. It's just, <laughs> I don't know how far you can really go with that, but yeah. And then you got Carlin. He's the karate kid. Faith, hope, and love. Yeah, come on. I see a bunch of you laughing because you know. Well, then after we get done with them, I say, well, I suppose I have one or two mannerisms, and all three of them go like this. I said, I don't do that that much, and they all went. 
This just means I'm thinking and I'm calming down and I'm about to say something that I think is important. So <laughs> now, how am I ever going to do that again, right? I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. Now, it goes without saying that if you're going to be good at imitating others, you really have to spend some time studying your subject, right? Going over, I would think those celebrities who do it, just watch videos or, or movies of that person over and over again until it becomes second nature. They can just go into character and uh, imitate away. Now, um, as you may have already guessed, uh, this morning's text our passage that we're going to look at uh, this morning involves a call to imitate someone. When what's funny is that the Bible asks us to do our best impression of someone, but to stay in character throughout our lives. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1, says, Be imitators of God. Therefore... As dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're going to walk through the first 14 verses or so. Each one will have sort of a, a point, you note takers. So right away, chapter five begins with a call, a call upon our lives. And that call would be to imitate God. Here's what he's saying. Do your best impersonation of God as we see him lived out through the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, who happens to be God the Son. What a staggering concept to open a chapter with. I want you to imitate God. That's a stunning conception on several levels, and we're going to talk about this. You see the therefore? The therefore is there because it ties you to what he's just been saying and what he'd just been saying, and if you weren't here Sunday, it was moral directives. In other words, how a Christian, once the Holy Spirit's come in and changed us, how we transform from the old life to the new life. And so he contrasted those two behaviors. So he was saying, you know, for example, uh, a born-again Christian has to uh, stop lying and tell the truth, right? And then he said, we have to refrain from temper outbursts and tantrums, uh, not to give the devil a foothold. He went on to say, uh, no longer shall we be stealing and taking things that don't belong to us because we're no longer that kind of person. We're this kind of person now. And he, he continued on. He said, don't use your mouth and your words to tear people down anymore. Build them up with your words of encouragement. And finally, he said, and if you're a mean person, if you were a mean person before faith, faith has come in, Christ's presence and love and kindness. You gotta stop being mean and bitter. You gotta start embracing the new life, which is kind and gracious. And then he says, so what am I trying to say? Verse one. What I'm trying to say is act like Jesus. Be like him. He's the role model. Study him, his facial expressions, what's going on in his mind, how he says things and what he does. 
tells you what kind of person he is and what kind of person as his child we ought to be growing up into. So this is the call that just kind of summarizes, uh, you know, the moral directives, you know. Uh, do this, don't do that. Never because you're trying to get to heaven because that would be a failure. Getting heaven is by faith alone, by the work that Jesus did on the cross. And the only reason the Bible says to be good is any good that is worth anything is a good that comes out of already having met Jesus and knowing him and being saved. From that, he says, okay, we got some work to do, folks. I've sprayed the weeds. We've, we've killed the root of the bad plant. All I need you to do is pull the weeds. We, and we've also planted the seed of the good garden, the fruit trees and the things that are good to grow, the wheat, okay? And all I need you to do is sustain that and nurture and cultivate, all right? So that's kind of the Christian challenge. And we do that with hearts that are still uh, um, compromised by sin in a world that is also given itself over to uh, dark ways of unbelief. And so that's the challenge. So he says, uh, let me put it to you this way. The best way to use the tools that God has given you, he's given you some tools. First of all, the new heart. <laughs> you have to have a new heart in there. And that's tool number one. Then tool number two is the Holy Spirit's in there. And he gives you the power. So when you want to do something, you actually have the power behind it. You also have the word of God. That's a tool. But here's a, yet another tool. He says, you've got a living example. Turn to the Gospels. You know how to imitate God? Well, you, nobody has seen God the Father. In fact, John tells us in chapter one, no man has ever seen God. But God, the one and only begotten, has revealed him. Do you see? So we have a picture of the invisible God in the life of Christ. So every time you read the Gospels or watch the Passion or watch a movie that documents how Jesus lived his life, there it is. And he's saying, you need to be glued to every detail of how Jesus moves in the crowd, who he stops to talk to, how he deals with people, because that, my friend, is the standard set for you and me to live that way. And so that's just one way uh, to remember that. You know, family resemblance. He's saying, listen, here's what he's saying. Uh, be imitators of God uh, because you're his children. If God is your father and you've been born again and adopted into his family because of your faith, there needs to be a family resemblance. And that family resemblance you need to cultivate. Yes, it'll be on board naturally, in some ways, but because of the old life and the old nature, you're going to have to do away with the things that don't resemble Christ anymore and to embrace and nurture and cultivate the things that make you look like your father. Family resemblance is important in the Bible. You know, I've got three kids, speaking of family resemblance, right? The first one, Jordan, she's a good mix. She's got the Reinman eyes, but she's a good mix of mom and dad. The next one, Zach. Zach, I've told Barb, you know what? You have blonde hair and green eyes, but don't expect any of our offspring to because I come from 4,000 years of brown. You know, I really do. And I, I took science class, brown, 
brown is dominant, you know? So I said, you know, and then out comes a blondie blue, you know? And, and that's because the brown was recessive. I have a recessive gene, and so, well, I'm going down a bunny trail, but I do have a purpose here. <laughs> and, and so he, he got all the cull genes, which is Barb's maiden name. He looks just like his grandfather. Oh, my word, Barb's father introduced, there he is, all right, as a young man. And then Caitlin, she's not related, but we love her. She married in, and her, her son is my grandson, so there. Next. <clears throat> now, let's talk about me with hair. So that, 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 the long story short is I'm getting to this. I'm sitting in at Kaiser waiting for the doctor. And I get a text, PJ. I've told you this before. PJ says, Dad, are you at Kaiser? I'm like, yeah, how did you know I'm at Kaiser? He goes, because my voice teacher sitting across from you. PJ, I don't know your voice teacher. I know, but he just texted me and said, I'm sitting across from a guy who's a dead ringer for your father. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, I have walked into stores and says, uh, I know somebody. I go, yeah, I'm PJ's father. Oh, yeah, you know, that's kind of, well, just take the hair off. There, yeah, there, there you go. Actually, it's a good-looking guy. There's a, yeah, so I, I used to look like that a long time ago. <laughs> All right, enough about that. But the point is, family resemblance goes more than noses and eyes and and, and facial features. And in this case, what we're talking about when he says imitate Christ, he's saying the way you are with people, that they look and go, and you know when they're gonna do this? It's when you're least like everybody else and most like your father, because he's way different, right? So in Matthew 5, he encourages this by saying, he says, you know, gang, most people out there, they love anybody who loves them. Oh, they're good at that. He says, even unbelieving atheists are good at that. Here's where I want you to make a difference. I want you guys to love your enemies and do good to those who use you and persecute you and pray for them. And if your enemy's hungry, get them a sandwich, you know, respond in the opposite spirit because here it is, your family resemblance, because your father, your father is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. It's just kind. He just kind. He gives blessings to farmers who curse him, and he brings rain and sunshine to those who bless his name. So I want you as his children to reflect that kind of thing. And that's when people go, whoa, resemblance, because there's nobody here that does stuff like that. Who likes obnoxious people who, who, who hurt them and are a pain in the neck? Who, who, who loves those kinds of people? God and anyone born of God, because that's what God does. Anybody who comes from God's essence and spirit and birth would quite naturally be the only ones who also do things like that. So he's saying, put Jesus in the sight and start, yeah, <laughs> that sight would work too, the cross, and see that and imitate that. 
Jesus is God, Hebrews chapter one and verse three. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and check this out, the exact representation of his being. Colossians 2.9, Jesus Christ is the fullness of God in a human body. Philip's on the night, uh, Philip, on the night Jesus was betrayed at the Last Supper, he says, Lord, show us the Father, God. Give us a glimpse already. We're, we're freaked out here. Things are shaken up. And, and Jesus says, anybody who's seen me has seen God. Philip, how long have I been with you and still you don't know me? He's claiming to be God in a body. And so we know that as we watch Jesus, we're watching God. Therefore, Paul can say, I want you to imitate God because you know him if he's in your heart and you've seen him in every possible situation. And he says, that's the behavior you're shooting for. So when the storm throws you upside down and the waves and the wind and everybody around you is, we're all gonna die. You're the one, like your father, calm, cool. Instilling calm and cool and peace in others because that's what our dad does. Our dad doesn't go, oh no, we're all gonna die, right? What does our dad do? Our dad is like, you know, the Lord, who says, hey, let's have faith. You think God brought us this far to drown us? Come on, man, where's your faith, right? How about Jesus and how do we deal with people? Well, half the gospel's all about Jesus dealing with outcasts, people nobody else acknowledges or likes or has the time of day for, and Jesus, He makes sure that every one of those kinds of people are touched and reached out to. You know, the blind beggar on Palm Sunday, blind beggar screaming out, everybody else, shh, be quiet. Just see something important happening here, shut up, right? And Jesus stops Palm Sunday and says, bring him to me. Oh, family resemblance. Family resemblance? Are you telling people, oh, come on, man. Oh, oh, oh. Come on, something important over here. Not somebody who's blind and has no money and is a pain and always talking and blah, blah, blah. Bring him to me. The little widow in the temple, everybody's ignoring. And, and Jesus said, let me introduce you to this woman. She's something to behold. Acknowledges her and lifts her up and gives her dignity. The leper, everybody's isolating from. A diseased person in the community, broken. Nobody wants to be around them. And he comes and throws himself before Jesus like maybe there's one person on earth who will just reach out and touch me. I haven't been touched for years. And Jesus had said, he reached out his hand and placed it on him, a leper. And it says, with great compassion. And the word there is to tear one's gut. Is there a family reason? Imitate that. The people, everybody's going, oh, and they're dying and isolated and lonely. Where's the family resemblance? Or do we join the crowd? that just kind of looks the other way and walks on the other side of the street. And so that's what he's saying. Imitate how patient Christ was with a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> My word. Those 12 disciples, you know, man, they were slow learners. 
The Lord will. <laughs> I thought that was a compliment. The Lord was so patient. Hear his cries in the garden. Imitate them. Father, I can't do this thing without you. I'm going to need some help here. This is a cross. Oh, God, I'm going to die, Father. You got to help me. If there's any other way, make this thing go away. But nevertheless, I'm your servant. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. So he says, you know what, folks? Let me make it real easy. I could tell you, don't do this, do that. Don't do that, do this. For days. Or I could just say to you, be like Christ. Christ's on board. His spirit's there. You got his word and you got his picture. Study, 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 and then impersonate him. Just, 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 this just happened. The way Jesus scooped up kids, everybody said, you, you know, hey, mom, dad, come on. He's the Messiah. Keep your kids down. You know, kids aren't important. Whatever. Keep them away. And Jesus rebuked. This is a strong word. It means slap. You know, a verbal slap. He slaps them up. Hey, guys, knock that off. Bring the kids to me. Scoops them up. I can see them laughing and playing. Well, this was in my mind. Right in the other day, somebody says, a small one says to me, hey, 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 come on outside. Look, look, I, said, I found a bug. Come on outside. And I'm like, I've got things to do. I'm thinking, and the Lord's like, hmm, hmm, I wonder what I would do there. Imitate Christ. Okay, so I'm like, okay, hey, let's go see the bug. You know. So I stop, and I put all my busy work on hold, and I go outside, and there's this little worm in a, like a puddle, and it's doing a little thing. And I looked at it, he goes, look at that worm. And I go, wow, look at that worm. And then I thought, wow, look at that worm. <laughs> I just thought, well, that's a pretty amazing thing. And he's like, he's doing like a little dance. And I said, yeah, he's doing a little dance. And then I said, I think that's why they call it the worm. And I started doing this worm thing. <laughs> and then he thought that was hilarious. And then the more he thought it was hilarious, the more I did it. You know, and so I'm there, but somebody saw me doing that. <laughs> and I looked up and went, Oh, I, I. <laughs> Stop and think. No, oh, I'm busy. Can we go? That's not Jesus. That's a lot of other people. But it's not the Lord. And he says, if you just live a life of love and, and, and give yourself away, that, that was a sweet fragrance to God the Father as the God the Son gave his life away for others. Why don't you have that kind of uh, motto over your life? It's not about me. It's about everybody else. That's Jesus' motto. And he says, that made God happy, right? That's in your text. And so do that and be blessed and be a blessing to God. Now he's going to go on with sort of uh, kind of a rebuke to the guys in the congregation who are not being like Christ, but falling back into the ways of the world and specifically in some uh, immorality issues. So the next few verses are about, please stop doing that because that's not Christ-like, all right? But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. You see the resemblance issue there? 
That's not how you should be living. Verse four, nor should there be obscenity, foolish, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place for God's people, God's children, but rather thanksgiving. Let's talk about this. So you saw the call upon our lives. Now, if you're taking notes, uh, the character of our lives, all right? Well, if imitating God is the standard for all Christians, uh, then moral purity is a necessity and immorality of all forms uh, are, are strictly prohibited because they're out of place and, and they have no connection to the God we say we know and love, the God that says he's in us. So when a life is being lived in immorality, um, it really says that there's a problem with the relationship with God, and, and it's a pretty serious one. Now, remember, these guys in Ephesus, they come out of a lot of sinning. They were uh, you know, in darkness, they worshiped idols, and they worshiped some forms of immorality that uh, involved uh, uh, sexual immorality and, and those kinds of things. And so it was a real challenge for them you know, to come out of that lifestyle. And then they were living in the same communities that practiced these kinds of vile things. So there was a lot of pressure on them. And then God comes along and he says this. He says that three times in the Old Testament, Testament, three times in Leviticus, be holy because I'm holy. Be holy because I'm holy. Be holy because I'm holy. What's he saying? He's saying, there it is again. I, as your father, I'm holy. That word means separated. That's all it means. It means separated from darkness, evil, sin, defilement, immorality. I'm holy. In other words, I'm morally pure. So you, as my offspring, the essence of who I am, I gave birth, spiritual birth. Jesus said, John 3, unless you are spiritually birthed by God, and that life in you is born from him from above, you can't get to heaven. And so that life will manifest itself in moral ways because there's a moral God on board and a new moral heart. And so that's pretty important. So he says, because um, I'm morally pure and because you're my children, you bear my name, you do my work, you represent me on earth because I put a new heart in you, then moral purity is of utmost uh, importance. Why? Can you see Jesus Christ using profanity? Oh my gosh, I can't even say the words. Can you see him craning his neck because a beautiful woman walked by? And, and just like a brute beast unbeliever, you know, he's saying, my word, men who follow me in whom I have placed my Holy Spirit, wholly separated from that kind of nonsense. He expects more of us. He says, not even a hint. 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells the Corinthians who had a problem with sexual immorality as well, as they all did, Man, test yourself. See if you're in the faith. Don't you realize Jesus is in you by his spirit? Unless, of course, you fail the test. One of the ways you can test yourself is this paragraph right here. 
you'll know if you're in the faith or not. But among you, not even a hint of immorality, impurity, or greed. Let's start with those words. Uh, immorality, there is that terrible, ugly word uh, where we, uh, pornea, where we get that even uglier word, uh, pornography. It just means sexual expression outside of the boundaries of blessed and sacred, holy matrimony. So it's outside of marriage, and, and there's a plethora of ways that you can sin in that way, but they all fall under the umbrella term of that word in English, immorality. Uh, the second word, impurity, is tied to moral impurity. And so, in fact, really, you know when, when grandma would say, oh, that's a, that's a dirty thing, you know, don't be dirty, it's exactly what the word means. It means defiled and, and spiritually dirty. The other word greed is not the typical word for greed. It's more of the coveting, lusting kind of flavor of greedy for your neighbor's wife kind of greedy. Greedy for things and relationships that are prohibited to you because you already have a wife or you will have a wife. And God wants you to... Uh, um, Use your body in the way that it was designed by him in holy and pure ways. And so those three words, he says, not even a hint. Not even a hint. Oh, we've, we passed that a long time ago. Not only is there a hint, but there's a downright embracing of what the Bible commands that all, any Christian who claims Christ as Lord, that you have the Holy Spirit and you're going to heaven and you're going to miss out on perishing. This is the, the standard, not even a hint. Well, what if you do have more than a hint? And what if it's like your life? Well, that's coming up in the next paragraph. But it's pretty serious uh, stuff. You know, the Proverbs, we just started Proverbs. We're going to go verse by verse. I think by chapter 10, we have to do themes because they're kind of buckshot like that. But one through nine, we can walk through. We started that. The Proverbs, a book of wisdom, right, talks a lot about trying to get through to us and warn us about how serious immorality of all kinds can be. Check this out. Proverbs chapter two, a downward death spiral. Proverbs 2.19, all talking about sexual immorality. 2.19, the way of no return. 5.14, public shame and disgrace will be yours. You'll be brought to ruin, 6.26. You shall not escape punishment. That was the nice way of saying what was there. Uh, 6.32, lacking all sense and judgment. 7.23, an arrow that pierces the heart. Uh, join the guests in the realm of the dead. Jesus said, fellas, when you look and lust and you don't even click yet, you're just doing it right here. You are committing adultery in God's sight. And therefore, what does it say about adulterers? Adulterers will be judged by God. And then it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, no adulterer will enter the kingdom of heaven. So unless you're saved and you've repented, but, but the mere fact that any sexual immorality is allowed in your life, red flag. It's either two things happening. 
either you are generally going to heaven, you, you are genuinely going to heaven and you are struggling, or you may think you're going to heaven, but the symptom of sexual immorality constantly as kind of a way of life betrays your profession of faith and it defines who you are, not by your lips. And so the passage here is trying to tell you. Now he goes on to say, nor should there be, and now he goes to what we were talking about, same subject. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but thanksgiving. So what is he saying? Great timing here. Look at the genius. He's saying, don't be sexually immoral. That's part of the old way of doing things, not the new. But I want you to, first of all, clean up the way you talk. Because as you talk about these things, right, in, in godless ways, you're lowering the threshold of moral sensitivity. So, so when you're hearing it and talking about it and, hello, joking about it, making light of these things, right? Then the next time you're tempted to actually act out, you're more inclined to do so because your moral sensitivities have been dulled because you're constantly defiling yourself with your words that are impure and uh, not right. I have a list of what those words mean. Obscenity is just, just everybody knows, it's just profanity and it, it means a filthy mouth. Uh, foolish talk is in the same subject, but it's kind of the, uh, it says stupid chatter with the flavor of irreverent immorality. So to speak flippantly or sacrilegious about such things. And then the coarse jesting, the perfect illustration of coarse jesting is a dirty joke. That's exactly what he's saying. He said, that's improper. <laughs> You're going to heaven you have the Holy Spirit in you. And when you talk like this, you'll find it easier to act like that. Now, what I think is fascinating, and I didn't get it right at first, but rather don't be having um, soiled conversations, irreverent talk out of your mouth, but rather thanksgiving. What does that mean? It means be thankful for the holy and sacred subject the dignity of marital intimacy that is beautiful and a gift. Be thankful and worship the Lord and, and conduct yourselves in a thankful, holy, grateful way that, uh, for this wonderful blessing that God has given us. Do not cast it into the dirt and use it as a trap and a tragedy instead of a blessing, do things God's way, he says. And now, for some folks who are kind of hard-headed, here comes uh, some clarity now. If he hasn't got you over yet, here we go. So buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> for of this, you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is a, an idolater. Why is he an idolater? Because he's made God the object of his pursuit, right? Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let me say that again. No immoral, impure, greedy person uh, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That means you're not going to heaven. That's what that means. That person. Let no one, and, and now, oh, let no one deceive you with empty words. 
But because if you live that way, that's your life, you're not going. And don't let anyone talk you out of it. Oh, don't worry, grace, grace, and whatever. If you live that way because of such things, immoral, impure, greedy, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. That, those who are disobedient, God's wrath and not getting to heaven are connected to those three words, immoral, impure, and greedy. But, 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 but I don't. He says, verse six, don't listen to this is the truth. This is the fact. And you're going to have to, to figure this out. Therefore, don't partner with them. So there's a difference between, and I'm glad I see men looking uncomfortable. Be uncomfortable. There is a difference, man, between struggling as a Christian and living it as a lifestyle. Do you want how many times a week it is? Well, how do I know if I'm really saved? That's the point of the question. That's the point of the text, man. The text is asking you, are you in, are you out? Do you have light or are you filled with darkness? Are you a Christ imitator? Or are you an imitator of the world? Who controls you, the Holy Spirit or an unholy spirit? Are you going to heaven or are you going to the other place? Make up your mind. And your behavior is voting if you are immoral, impure, and greedy. You're saying, well, everybody is a little bit. Well, if you are that way, your behavior is voting that you're out. And it doesn't matter, he says. Oh, yeah, but you're in and all of this stuff. You, my friend, and me have to struggle with this passage and say, if immorality is a consistent pattern in my life, something is wrong. I'm e either case, if I'm a believer, I am destroying my own life, I'm ruining my marriage, and I'm forfeiting reward. The Bible clearly teaches that an unfaithful Christian on that day can be saved minus your reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15. You're either that or you're an unbeliever who perhaps has some Christian attributes around you. You think you're in, but because you're consistently living in immorality, your behavior is showing you never truly connected. And it doesn't matter what people say. Work it out. Yes, there is room for moral failures and salvation. Of course, none of us would be saved because none of us are perfect in that regard and in that area. However, my friend, <laughs> if it's a thing you've come to grow accustomed to and you like to just say, oh, I'm an addict, I'm telling you what, warning. I'm just warning you by the scriptures because when I get there and you get there, and I see that I went light on you and you thought you were and you're not and I see you on the other side. Oh, no, 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 no. I'd rather put up a little awkwardness right now and just kind of put it out here and make it a little warm in the room, right? Then for me to say on that, see on that great day that you went to my church, the church that God put me in, in, in as responsible over, and I was like, yeah, old guys, <laughs> well, he's a guy, isn't he? 
Oh, no. Don't let anyone deceive you. Those who live that way will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So hopefully that went through to him, you know, the guys. There's lots of reasons not to be sexually immoral. God, there's a ton of them. But he just said future judgment would be one motivation uh, for you. <laughs> so some people are like that. They need the big, you know, the smelling salts whipped out and like, whoa, okay. Yeah, and so moving on. We finish up now with this. For you were once, now it's just going to kind of counsel us. You were once that way. You once lived in darkness. Now you're light in the Lord. Live that way. Live as a child of the light. And here's what I mean by that. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord and do that instead. (laughs) 11 have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Verse 12, for it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Verse 13, but everything exposed by light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it says, and here's a line from one of their ancient hymns that they used to sing at, on Easter when they had baptisms. Wow, good timing. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What a great way to close his argument right there with that hymn. Well, let's consider then the last part of this now um, as he offers some counsel for our lives, some counsel given uh, for guiding our lives. Now, here's what he's saying. Here's some helpful ways to think about how to imitate Christ and avoid sexual immorality. Number one, counsel number one, make a clean break with your past, who you used to be. In other words, remember those days. Were they, I mean, he says, remember you were once darkness. You remember those days. Darkness in the Bible stands for error. Um, It stands for sin or evil or spiritual ignorance. He says, that that was a thing of the past. Do you remember those days groping around, stumbling around? You you might not have been a person given over to these kinds of vices, but still you didn't know where you were going, why you were here, what's right or wrong in God's eyes, so you were still in the dark. And, And he's saying, that was the way it used to be. Now, I was at the gym. I was in the locker room listening to two young guys talk about spring break. Listen to this. It's so amazing. They're talking about what a wonderful time they had. We had an awesome time, dude. And so he's talking about it. So uh, how much they were drinking and how wasted they got. And wasted is a good word for what you're doing there. So, uh, you know, (laughs) so they're all wasted. And they're talking about how much trouble that they got in while they were wasted. A, they drank so much they got sick and made a mess everywhere, right? B, they had to be hospitalized for alcohol poisoning. C, they did some dumb things and got arrested and tossed into jail, had to call their daddy, and the daddy had to post bond and get them out of jail. At the end of the story, while they're both talking and laughing and everything, he says, oh man, it's so awesome. It's so awesome. Let me go down the list. (laughs) 
alcohol poisoning, doing things that you're now ashamed of, can't even remember half of it, you're sick, you have to get hauled off and spend the night in jail while you're sick? Awesome. I could think of other ways to have a spring break. <laughs> that might be even more awesome, amen? amen? He said, dude, listen, guys, that's how you used to be. Even if you weren't given to that kind of vice, you used to be dark, now you're light in the Lord. Jesus said he's the light of the world. He said, if any man come to me, they'll never walk in darkness. So what happened? God is light, and in him there's no darkness. So listen, man and woman, woman of God, the light has come in, or it hasn't. The light has come in, and that behavior now that springs out of your life has to be consistent with the light. Listen to our friend John, man. He's cut and dried, dude. He says, this is the message we have heard from him, and now we proclaim it to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, I know Jesus, but we live in the, walk in the darkness, we lie, we are lying, and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So if the light comes in, he's just reasoning with them. So first of all, he says, make a clean break with who you used to be, right? And, and, and remember that as unpleasant days, empty and lonely and all of that. And then he says, something happened to you that now you're light in the Lord. Jesus, who's the light of the world, comes in and joins his spirit to yours. That's how you're born again and, and shall never die because your spirit got born in, into him, right? And he is the light of the world and now joined to you. Therefore, he says to you and to me, you are the light of the world. Matthew chapter five, verse 13. Why? Because he, he's the light of the world. He got a hold of us. And now through the church and through the Christian, he expects behavior that's consistent with the light. So he says, hey, here's what I mean by walking in the light. He says, uh, doing good things. Righteousness means being set right with God. So the right behavior that comes from relationship with God and truthful things. And then he says, find out what pleases the Lord. So that's the second counsel is to figure out now what, what ways should I embrace? Which friends should I have? These friends are kind of with the dark cloud and kind of pull me the wrong way. These kinds of activities don't please God. So you have to, the counsel here is start to live, here's the word, intentionally, with intention. All right, so you got to figure out, that's dark, that's light, I'm going this way, Right? Draw some lines in the sand. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know, that's the idea behind the exposing and bringing the light everywhere. He's not saying, oh, you know, every time there's something dark, you just need to expose that person. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, live your Christian life in a public way, that there's no, no secrets. There's, that everybody knows who you are, what's happened to you, and what you stand for, and how you live. That way, there's no surprises and no pressure, right? Because the 
person who lives under the radar and no one really knows under the cloak of some kind of mild darkness because nobody even knows you're a Christian, right? You guys are the ones that the guys come up to and say, hey, you know, we're going to X, Y, and Z. Come on out with the guys. And now you put yourself in a tough situation. Why? Because the light has not been exposed, right? And so now you have to either, you know, stand up and do the hard thing and say, actually, you know, uh, I don't do those things, right? He says, it'd be better if every day you live floodlights on, no, pa- no secret passcodes, no doing things secretly and in dark, uh, none of these flirtatious relationships. And the, you know, everywhere you go, whether it's a gym, a hotel room, or to an old friend's house, wherever you go, when people are watching you, when they're not watching you, the light's on. Everybody knows. An alcoholic who became a Christian and came to my office for counsel, and praise the Lord, he got saved. And he said, I'm going to a family function. And they all drink. And, and there are a couple alcoholics there, and I, I'm just going to go down. I just know what's going to happen. you know. And I said, not if... You bring the light right away. Sit down, smile, sit down at the table, take the glass and turn it over and say, oh, those days are over, praise the Lord, or something like that. And then they'll say, oh, you found the light. And then, yeah, you'll say, yeah, I did. I found the light, praise the Lord. And then it'll be over, right? Well, mostly. (laughs) But see what you did? You walked in shining the floodlights, floodlights, Everybody knows, hey, uh, hey, I don't drink anymore. You didn't have to stand on the table, right? But, you know, I don't right now. So the light's out, and nobody's going to pour anything. And then the alcoholic who needs Jesus across from you because you've already exposed the light in the situation is going, oh, yeah, I, I probably need to do that too. So not only are you helping yourself by turning the lights on and exposing things and coming out and drawing lines in the sand and letting people know, oh, that's not right. Can you just say that? That's what he's saying. You need to be the kind of person that in the right way, with, with diplomacy and tact and love and kindness, to be able to be salt and light in the world, to be able to say, oh man, I don't go for that. Or, oh man, You know what the Bible says about that, right? That's what the point of these verses are, is to live in such a way that not only you're safe from moral compromise, because everybody knows, and you have got accountability, but they see the light, and they make the connection. That's what he's really saying there. I really like uh, this paraphrase. When you live in light, There's floodlights everywhere. There's no corner of darkness in your life. Everything becomes visible. Everything's out in the open. No traps, no snares, no surprises, no cloaks of darkness, no secret flirtations, no inappropriate websites, and your wife has all your passcodes. You don't go places you shouldn't go with people who you shouldn't be hanging around with. Why? Because the lights are on. The lights are on. Listen, my friends. These are the last days, and the Bible prophesied that there'd be great moral compromise in the church. And I wouldn't be surprised if the stats are true about immorality 
being rampant, especially in the men in this very room. I'm telling you what, men, it is time to man up and to quit compromising and grieving the Holy Spirit and destroying your own soul. Just stop, grow up, let the light of God's word shine some healing. And that's how he wraps it up. He says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. What's he saying? He's saying, this is how we got saved. We were all dead, unconscious to God. And, and we heard the gospel, wake up, wake up. And Christ, through his word, raised us up from the dead and, and, and gave us new life. And now Christ shines upon us. So the very call to walk in the light is to call you back to your Christian conversion, your so-called Christian conversion. And he's saying, either you're awake in the light or you're still dead. And you need to be called to come and be awake. And it's not this, your profession, that will define it. It's your lifestyle that will tell us, is the Holy Spirit on board or are things still unholy? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and your joy and your peace, and I just thank you for hard words that make us think, Lord, and those who are doing well, men and women, in moral excellence, Lord, it just spurs them and us on uh, to do even more and to guard our lives. And those who are struggling, Lord, just to be able to understand the intensity and the severity of the issues at hand that our souls... (laughs) Our souls are on the line as not worth messing around with our souls. So, Father, thank you for the tools to rise above and to live in light. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.